Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Awesome, awesome. Good to be here. Good to have friends. Good to have leaders. Good to have family. And uh, we're a family at Watermark, and I'm excited you're here. If you're uh, a part of the family or if you're new to the family, welcome. I'm Pastor Bucky, and we're going to have a family discussion about sex. Woo! Who's excited about that, right? I remember when I had to talk to my kids about sex. Woo! What do you say? What do you do? Well, we want to have an open and honest dialogue. Right? A God conversation. That's our vision, to have a God conversation about what does the Bible say about human sexuality. And you know what? Our culture is shouting sex at us every day through the media, through the political process, through the internet. We are a sex-crazed, all-about-sex, sex-God culture. And that is the culture that we live in. And so the culture is taking the game to us. The culture is teaching your kids about sex, whether you talk about it or not. The schools are equipping your children about what human sexuality is, what sex is and what sex is not, and how you do it and where you do it. The songs are about sex. The culture is telling you about sex all the time. And guess what? Many times in this, there is not a dialogue because the church is silent about sex. The church is saying nothing about sex. And then when the church speaks, what does it do? It reacts out of fear. It, it, It gives you a piecemeal approach versus a holistic view of what sex is all about in the Bible. And so then what do we hear many times? Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Don't do this. This is bad. This is wrong. Instead of the big thou shalt, which is the beginning of the conversation, which we're going to get into today. And so the church has been very piecemeal, fear-based, and worried about this issue. Reactive instead of proactive. Many times the churches move politically to judge the culture. We need to judge the culture. We need to change the culture instead of being prophetically driven by looking at its own house. And in my estimation, if you look at the statistics, the church has no moral authority or grounds to stand on to tell the culture how to live because the church does not know how to live. We have the same porn addiction rates. Our divorce rates are the same as the world. Our sexual struggles are just the same in the world. So this conversation is a family conversation. This is about church folks and our struggle with human sexuality. Because in my estimation, the amount of pain that I have experienced just in my brief career of counseling people in our culture is that the sexual pain in our culture, because of the ethic, because it's all about sex and all over the place, The pain is astounding. The amount of women that have been raped in our culture, astounding. The amount of little little boys and girls that have been abused in our culture sexually, astounding. The amount of men and women that can't go through a week without visiting a porn site several times overwhelms me at many times with the struggles with that 
in our church. Uh, the, the, the unwanted children that are aborted, the divorces, the extramarital affairs, prostitution, all this stuff is not outside the walls of the church, it's inside the walls of the church. And so in my estimation, we need to look at our own house and get our own self in order when it comes to human sexuality, but if you go out and tell the world how to live and how to have a sex life, because we struggle with it deeply ourselves. So my heart and passion, and Pastor Ben, as we have been talking about this, is how do we have a God conversation that is healthy, that is biblically based, embed the Bible in everything, where we can see sex, the big picture of sex from God's point of view, a healthy conversation that should hopefully spill out into your marriages, because many times marriages don't even know how to talk about this issue. That will spill into your parenting because many times we don't know how to talk to our kids and show them what healthy sexuality is all about. And hopefully we can create a path of healing and hope. That's the hope of the gospel, that Jesus provides healing and hope in every areas of our life. And he is desires to redeem and to restore human sexuality the way God had intended it. And so there is great hope in the church. And, and through this, you might, have, you might have questions. You might have God questions. And we want you to text us or email us. I think we might have a slide. If you have a question during this series about human sexuality, something you're wrestling with, feel free to text us. We will try to address it in, in, the, in the conversation that we're having from the pulpit. We can, we're maybe not going to be able to answer all the questions, but you certainly will email you back with what we feel the Bible says about and even refer you to places where you can get more information. You see, Watermark, the church needs to be a safe place to talk about this issue, to process this issue, and to be open and honest with where we're at and where we're struggling. So many times the church has driven this conversation under, underground because we're not willing to deal with it in a healthy way. And we want to talk about this and wrestle with this in a healthy way. So text your questions, watermark.com slash questions, and we'll get you an answer. And then also, you know, in my own journey through this issue, I am not somebody that speaks to you as someone that's never only studied in the Bible and never had to deal with this. I've had to walk through this issue in my life. I have scars and pains. My marriages, my marriages have scars and pains because of this issue. You know, Kathy and I have had to go on a journey of healing. I got married when I was 20 years old, and so we've been together for a long time, and we've had lots of experiences that we've had to go. And counseling has been a part of our healing journey in terms of the image of God and prayer. We have had sessions with, with wonderful men and women where there's been deep healing prayer over us, hands laid, deep healing prayer, spiritual stuff that has actually provided healing and broken through barriers so that we could take our life and our marriage to a whole other level. We have a team of intercessors here at Watermark Church that provide that beautiful intercessory ministry. If you're feeling along this journey that you know, you're just stuck in a rut... You're, you're, you're bound by things you don't know how to get out of. There are past hurts that you just can't seem to heal, and you want somebody to bring you in that throne room of grace in a very safe and confidential place. You can make an appointment on our website, and we have a prayer team that would love to pray with you in a very confidential and bring the grace and the healing power of God. I've seen lives transformed in this area 
people who have been damaged and they've been, destroy, been, been destroyed and they've been healed and restored. So this is all for you because we want you to be the person that God created you to be in the area of, of sexuality. And so how do we open this up? I'm going to turn to a book in the Bible. It's nestled in the sort of the middle of the Old Testament in the wisdom literature. And what does this book talk about? This book celebrates the wonder of sexual love, the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, right? Nestled in there with the, with the, with the, the wisdom literature of the Psalms, right? This prayer book that takes us vertically into God's presence, the Psalms, right? That's the hymn book of the Old Testament. And then we have the wisdom of the Proverbs. How do we live our life out in a practical way? How do we do, deal with things? Wisdom of practical living. And right in there, God places this beautiful book. Uh, right in that wisdom about the beauty of God's creation and the wonder of sexual love. The Song of Songs. Here's how the book opens, right? The Song of Solomon. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And all the men said... Amen. For your love is more delightful than wine, more intoxicating than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Throughout this love poem, this is a 3,000-year-old Hebrew love poem, and there are three people that are the characters in this beautiful poetic a celebration of sexual love, and they're, they're very creative titles, I know. One's called He, the other's called She, and the third is The Friends, or Daughters of Jerusalem. And we'll meet these characters. The wonderful thing is this opens up with a woman who's celebrating the attraction that she has for, some people believe this is Solomon, right, the king, and this is one of his brides, a Shumanite bride. And this is a song of sexual love and celebration. The Hebrew word love there is the word dod. And what does that word describe? It means to caress, to rock, to fondle, right? Yeah, this is in the Bible. <laughs> this is in the Bible. To caress, to rock, to fondle. It is the passion and the romantic feelings that are part of a love relationship the physical, sexual part, right? The Bible has a lot to say about sex. A lot of good stuff, not just bad stuff about sexuality. Dode is that word. And the chamber is a reference to the bridal chamber. Throughout this poem, you're going to realize this couple is courting and eventually they're going to find their way to the bridal chamber. They're going to get married in covenant love and say, I do. The book opens with this bold and beautiful statement about attraction and sexual love, and it says, it is good. It is good. Attraction is good. Sexuality is good. These are gifts that God has given to be celebrated in a relationship that is covenantal, the relationship of covenant love, marriage. And this is the beauty and the wonder of attraction that is celebrated here. You know, a lot of people had challenges about getting, putting this book in the Bible, Right? It, how it got its way in the Hebrew canon, some of the rabbis really struggled with this. And so they put not a PG-13 stamp on this, they put a PG-30 stamp on this. Don't read until you're 30. Because <laughs> it is so explicit as you read the book, it gets lost in translation. But in the Hebrew, it's very clear. This is 
really celebrating the beauty and the wonder of physical sexual love in terms of vision and imagery and desire. It's a book of desire. And so many people have allegorized the book. Oh, this, this is about the pursuit of wisdom. That's what the book's about. Or it really is, is a picture of God's love for his people. And then Christians came along and said it's, it's a picture of Jesus' love for his church. And these are all beautiful applications. But at the base, this book, at face value, is about the celebration of covenantal sexual love. And so it was just assumed in the Hebrew culture which seems foreign to us because where do we learn about sex? We learn about sex in biology class, right? That's where they tell you about sex. We learn about sex from our friends on the street. You learn about it in the locker room. You learn about it from the boys, you know. Where do you learn about sex? Well, in the Hebrew culture, it was just assumed that the family talked about sex. A novel idea, right? Do you know that on the Sabbath, the rabbis commanded married couples to have sex? On the Sabbath. It's a part of worship. It's a part of what we were created to do. Celebrate your covenantal love on the Sabbath. Because in the Hebrew culture, sex is an act of worship. God created sex to be a beautiful part of celebrating the covenant of committed love. And so it wasn't foreign to them. And on the Sabbath, it wasn't weird for mom and dad to say, Hey kids, go ahead and put on veggie tails. We're going to be in the back room for a while. Come on. I can't even get a laugh out of that one. See, Jen likes it. Hey, we're going to be celebrating this beautiful gift. And you know what? We're going to talk about it. We're going to model it. We're going to share it. And we've lost that. We've made it taboo. We've made it weird. We've made it awkward. We've made it bad. It's unspiritual. Well, that's not what the Bible says about sex. The Bible says sex is a very spiritual issue. It's a very beautiful issue because God created it to be celebrated and is a picture of covenantal love. Let's look at the beginning of this whole thing. Where does this come from? It comes from the book of Genesis. The beginning of all things, right? The Torah, the Hebrews, where did they get their identity from? Why did God call them out as a nation? Where did they come from? They were created because mankind was created in the image of God. God creates good stuff. That's where the book of Genesis begins. The opening creation account, a poetical, again, a poetical view of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, what? Let there be light. Famously, right? The first act of creation and there was light. God saw that the light was good, okay? And if you read Genesis 1, I encourage you to go back and read it, you'll notice a poetic rhythm to the days of creation, right? God speaks, right? God creates light. God creates seas. God creates animals. God creates, and what does he say after he creates? It is good. And so you have this rhythm of goodness. Being created is good, being made of stuff is good. God doesn't make junk. We've heard that before. God creates good stuff. Being created, the heavens, the earth, the oceans, the mountains, the animals, these are all good things of the creation. Then the rhythm stops. It stops. And suddenly we have a new thing that's going to happen. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then something new. It goes from good 
to great. It goes from good to very good because of the creation of mankind. Now we're introduced to a new term, a new form of being. It's not just good, it's very good because of the imago Dei, the image of God. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, all the animals that we created and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful. Yes, the first command of the Bible. Be fruitful. It is good, right? Very good. And increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. God saw that he made, and it was very good, right? Human beings are not animals. Do you see the pause in the rhythm? Do you see the stop? And God suddenly says, There's a new thing that's happening here. We've created material things. We've created matter things. We've created animals. And now we're creating humans. And humans are not animals. They're made of the same stuff, but they're not animals because there's something different about their makeup, which is called the image of God. They're not animals. You're not animals. You're image bearers. Uniquely, human beings are image bearers, right? What does it mean to be an image bearer? It doesn't mean that you're God. It doesn't mean you're going to become God. But it means that you embody parts of God. You reflect parts of who God is in terms of your relationship to the creation. Right? And so we embody parts of God as human beings in our relationship to each other, in our relationship to how we manage the creation. We embody God's justice. We embody God's righteousness. We embody God's mercy. We embody God's rationale. We embody God's moral capacity in the way that we do the creation. We're uniquely embodying God as male and female, and we're not animals. Animals do not stop and reflect on the meaning of life. Anybody been to an animal small group and talked about the difficulty and the problem of evil? I've never been there, right? Animals don't struggle with suffering, and why is this all happening in the problem of evil? That doesn't happen. Animals don't build temples and go and make sacrifices and pray to God. They don't have a spiritual awareness. They're animals. Human beings are different. They have a spiritual consciousness. They're made in the image of God, and they reflect that in the way that they manage and rule the creation. Animals are different. Now, when we talk about the animal kingdom, we would say that animals are ruled by their biology. Animals are controlled by their urges. And we have a sexual term for that. When animals are controlled by the urges, we say they are in heat. Right? And so animals every year go through, if you go look go to you know Yellowstone Park or any place, you realize that animals have seasons. And when their biology clock tells them it's time, they go to a certain place, they do a certain ritual, and guess what? Babies are formed, right? Babies come out, right? Animals do that instinctively. They are ruled by their urges. There's no candle at dinners, right? There's no, there's no special cards that are written, right? 
There's no sexual therapist that an animal goes to and say, you know, I'm really having a problem with this, this stag over here. Can you tell me? Can you guys give us some counsel? Animals don't do that. Because animals are driven by their urges. And as much as we project our humanity on animals, we love them on the TV and they bounce around and we say our animals are just like us, they are not like us. They are different than us, right? As much as we try to draw parallels, we are distinct and unique amongst all the creation. Theologically, we would say that's because we have the image of God and they do not. We, we don't, we're not in heat like they are. We're different than them. We're not ruled by biology alone. Human beings are different in their image bearing. And the text would say in the way that we relate, right, as male and female, and the way that we rule and steward the creation, right, and the way that we reproduce, and the way that we have sexuality and reproduction, we bear the image of God uniquely in all the creation. We're not animals, right? But as we go along in the, in the Bible story, we understand we're, we're not angels either. Psalm 8 is another celebration of creation. It's written by David. He's reflecting, image of God, why are we here? Why are we different? He's having a philosophical reflection and praising God that he observes and realizes that humans are on the top of the creation, and he worships. And he says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, right? Human beings that you care for them. You made them a little lower than the angels, another type of being, and you crown them with glory and honor. You crowned us with glory, the image of God and the rulership of the creation. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. And you put everything under their feet. Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name that you created man so wonderfully and beautifully. Worship. Human beings are not animals. We're ruling over the animals, but we're also compared to another type of being. We're not angels. Human beings are not animals, but we're image bearers in the rule of the creation. Angels are another type of being created, the Bible tells us, before humans. The book of Job, Job 38.4, Job and God are having a conversation. And God says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And the angels sang, and the angels were there, they were observing God create the earth, and they were singing and praising God. They're another type of being that was created before us in the creation order, but they also have a specific purpose. Hebrews 1.14, we just did a study in the book of Hebrews. The opening chapters of the book of Hebrews, one of the arguments is that Jesus is superior to angels, and in that argument, the author describes the purpose of angelic beings. Angels are ministering spirits, it says in Hebrews 1.14. They're ministering spirits who serve the will of God in creation and salvation. They implement and serve God's will, but uniquely they're spirits. They're spiritual beings, and what is the definition of a spirit being? It is a center of consciousness and personality that doesn't have a body. An angel is a spiritual being, a center of consciousness and personality that doesn't have a body. Now, angels can manifest bodies so humans can see them, but that's not what they, they do their stuff in as bodies. They are spirits, right? And so angels are different than humans. So what have we learned so far in our lesson on sex? You guys are not animals, right? Say, I'm not an animal. 
but also you're not an angel, especially that guy right over there. He's definitely not an angel. You're not an animal. You're not an angel, right? Well, what are you? You're uniquely a human being. Human beings are unique in all the creation. Genesis 2 zooms in. Genesis 1 is a broad brushstroke on creation, celebrating the rhythm and act of creation. Genesis 2 zooms in on the crown of creation, the height of creation, which is us, mankind, made in the image of God. What does that uniquely look like? And it starts to talk about how God formed the first man, Adam, okay? Now, it's interesting in the Hebrew, Adam comes from the word Adama, which is dirt, right? So men, we were formed out of the dirt. We're dirt men, to which all the women said, yeah, for sure. We love to get dirty. My, my shepherd boy, man, that dude's a dirt man. He's in the dirt all the time. We're for, we love the dirt, right? We love to run it. We love to play with it. We love to do whatever we can with the dirt. The Lord God formed Adam out of the Adama. He formed him out of the material, just like animals. He formed him out of the material stuff, but then he did something different that he doesn't do the animals, right? And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath. And that Hebrew word for breath is very close to the Hebrew word for spirit. He breathed into him spiritual being in life. Right? So we're not animals, we're not angels, we're human beings. Because we're a blend of both, right? We're where the two meet. Angels have spiritual consciousness, awareness. They don't have bodies. Angels have spiritual consciousness. They don't have bodies, right? Animals have bodies, but they don't have spiritual consciousness. We're where the two meet. Human beings have bodies and spiritual consciousness. Human beings have bodies and spiritual consciousness. This is how God formed us uniquely. We're both body and spirit. We have a soul. We have a body and a soul. Human beings have bodies and spiritual consciousness, which makes them unique in all of creation, a body and a soul. Bucky, why are we talking? all? I thought we were going to talk about sex. Relevancy is coming here because this is the foundation of good sex, body and soul. We have to understand that. We bear his image through oneness. As Genesis 2 continues, Adam is alone. It's not good for a man to be alone. A man alone can't really bear the image of God, right? God is community, right? In his essence, God is three in one. Wrap your brain around that. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. We're Trinitarian, right? Let us make man in our image. God is one and expresses himself in a community of covenant love. So he creates man to express his image in a community of covenant love. Male and female. It's not good for man to be alone. It said it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. But it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helpmate. Not a slave, not a sex slave, not somebody to walk over, not somebody to rule over him, but somebody that's going to come out of his rib, out of him, and walk alongside him and be his partner. I love what Tremper Longman says. He says, the greatest translation for that, for helpmate, is intimate ally. To be his intimate ally in managing and stirring the work of creation. That's what Kathleen is, my intimate ally. She's got my back. And we dream and we bear God's image 
and serving the creation. Yeah, I like that. And so it's not good for man to be alone, so I'm going to make him a helpmate. So he forms this woman, Adam, and says, whoa, this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. She is called woman because she's taken out of man. And it says to the Hebrew nation of slaves, you're not slaves anymore, guys. You're free. You're image bearers. And that's why a man leaves his mother and father and cleaves to his wife. And the two become one flesh, and they bear the image of God to the community. That's why. That's the foundation of sex. That Hebrew word for oneness is glue. Leave and cleave and you'll glue together, right? You'll bond. And what it's saying is that sex is not just a physical thing. It's very physical because we're humans with bodies. But it's very spiritual because we bond at a soul level that animals don't do. When animals break up, they don't go to therapists. They don't have guilt and shame. They don't have all this sexual baggage. Why? Because they don't have a soul. <laughs> They're driven by their desires. But human beings do because we have a soul and we have sex. We bond with another person at a whole deeper level because that's what we were created to do by God, to bear his image in oneness. And so sex is more than biology. That is huge. Parents, parents. All the world's going to tell you, all the school class, class and education is going to tell your kids, sex is just biology. That's all it is. Driven by your urges, go take care of those urges, just do it in a safe way. That is not what God's word says about sex. And who is going to model and show your kids that sex is more than biology? It is about oneness, it's about bonding. You know in 1 Corinthians when Paul wrote the, the church... The early church there was struggling with its sexuality, and guess what? A lot of the guys were going to temples and having worship with temple prostitutes. And Paul says, don't you know that your body's the temple now? And if you merge with a prostitute, it's not just a biology body thing. You're actually becoming soul one with that person. You're actually messing up your life, your ability to connect and bond. You're actually messing up your soul and your emotions in that. That's an important message for young people who think that it's just biology. There is a soul. There is emotion. It's important. It's special. It's the way you were created to be one with somebody. Don't mess with that. Hold off for something way bigger than that. Right? To have a soulful connection in a covenant marriage, oneness for life. That is a way bigger story, a way more beautiful story than just saying, just don't do it. Give them the real story. Model the real story. Show them that, parents. It's about bonding and oneness. It's not just about biology. And sex is more than bonding. Right? Sex is way more than bonding. And you know, if the world has said, shouted sex is about biology, about biology, what the church has said is, you know what? We're not animals. We're all just angels. That's the message of the church. We're all just angels, you know? Just put the kids in a small group. <laughs> you know, youth group, they'll figure it out. We'll just go to church and pray. And, you know, it's all going to, kumbaya, it's all going to work out. You know, everything's great. We, we don't have sexual issues. Our kids' hormones aren't going crazy from 12 to 14, right? Well, we're not going to talk about that as a church. Well, no, don't talk about that in the youth group because, you know what, you might scare my kids. Well, let me tell you, in the school, your kids are being scared. They're, they're being given a whole nother agenda 
And if we don't talk about this stuff and don't give our kids a place to process this when their hormones are raging and go through this, we do them a huge disservice and we let the world teach them about sex. we got to empower our youth ministers, our kids, and our parents to talk about sex in a healthy way with their kids because they're feeling it. They're getting it shoved down their throat by every social media. It's in every advertisement. It's in everything. And if we don't talk about it, God, the guys, the world is going to teach our kids about sex. And they're only going to get half the story because it's way more than biology. But it's biology too, and it's important. It's important we talk about that and teach about that and show that how in a marriage these two beautiful desires can be fulfilled in soul oneness. Sex is more than bonding. It's about physical pleasure and desire. God created that. It's not bad. It's not dirty. It's not naughty. And that's all that kids many times hear from the church. How do we give them a beautiful sexual model that they can hold out for in covenant love, right? How do we embody that as wonderful married couples? And I know there's wonderful married couples in this room. And we're married and our kids are gone. What do we do? Gosh, be a mentor. Get a young couple and show them what it's like to have a godly marriage and tell them about great sex in a godly marriage. Because, man, that has been the most fulfilling thing of my life, to have a soulmate Sex is not just about the body, it's about the soul. And to have that fulfillment with a soulmate, there's nothing like that. Do we, tell, do we model that? Do we share that? Do we embody that? Do we mentor? Do we train? The church is way behind the world in this. And we need to get our game on, guys, if we want to have healthy kids. Sex is more than bonding. It's more than biology. This is how we are uniquely bear the imago day, right? By coming together and loving a person for life, and bonding with them, and celebrating sex regularly, right, and beautifully, and joyfully, and allowing that to model and bear the image of God to our children, to our grandchildren, to the community. So somebody says, wow, that church, people don't get divorced in the church. Why? Why is the divorce rate in the church 15% and the world 50%? It's, it's the same right now, but what if everybody said, you know, the, rather than the church saying, you know what, homosexuals, homosexuals are bad, they're going to hell, and you know, you, you perverts and this and that, what if somebody said, look at the church, those people love each other, and they stayed married for life, and they're happy and fulfilled, and they don't, they're not addicted to porn, and they're not out there with, pro- why are they different? Why are they so loving? And then they asked us, and we got a chance to give them the answer for the hope that it is versus judge them and condemn them when we're so broken ourselves. What if that happened? We could change the world. And that's what God wants for the church. He wants us to be a countercultural community embodying these values and training and teaching and living them out. This is oneness. This is the image of God. Ephesians 4, this is the mystery of Christ and his church. A healthy beautiful marriage, covenant love, and sexuality. That's where we're headed towards. And so we just don't want to pretend and not talk about that. We want to talk about that. We want to wrestle with that because none of us are perfect. And we want to enjoy this beautiful gift in the context that it was given to us. The gift of sex was given to build community, not destroy community. The gift of sex was given to build community. And unfortunately, we've taken it out of its context and all we do is destroy lives with it, right? We bond with people and we don't have covenant and we rip their souls. We, we bond with a porn site and we destroy our mind. You know, we bond with prostitutes and we have transmitted diseases. 
Uh, we, we destroy marriages and families and kids' understanding of God because we've taken sexuality out of its God-given gift of covenant love and we hurt people with it. That's the ethic of the world. Can sexual sex just be safe? And yet we destroy so many lives with that. When God says sex is about covenantal love, that's what it's about. And that's what we want to talk about in this series. We want to dialogue. We want to be honest about it because we all wrestle with this. And so please ask your questions. Please come up for a prayer. Please let us counsel with you. We're here to be a healing community, not just proclaim an ideal and not walk with you in the struggle of this because I know this can bring a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. And so that's why we always end our service with this table. It's a covenantal table. And you know, Jesus didn't come as a spirit and say, guys, I'm here. Hope everything goes well. God bless you. And then fly up to the sky. Jesus took on a body. A body. And he took on all the desires and all the things of what it means to grow and develop as a normal human. And he took those desires and he formed them around covenant of love with the Father and love for others. And at this table, he says, you are my family. You are my brothers and sisters. And I gave my body to redeem your body and your soul. Both of those things. Heaven is not a disembodied state. Heaven is a redeemed, restored body. The body is a temple of the Spirit. God cares about your body. It matters to you. And he cares about your soul because you're uniquely human. And Jesus became a body and soul to give his life for you, to atone for you so that you might be made whole and healed. And so you come to this table not as as biology, but you come to this table as somebody that has the stamp of God's identity. And he gave his life so that you could have that identity as a child of God. You are not a slave to your biology. You don't have to be formed by your biology. You're a child of God. And your whole system of thinking can be transformed and reshaped around God's healing love so that you can have healthy relate. That's the story of my marriage. That's what God did for me. He healed me. And he gave me covenantal love. That's a process of sanctification. It's not perfection. It's a process. We're in process. We're all dealing with this. But at this table, you're welcomed you are received, you are forgiven no matter what you've ever done, no matter whatever's been done to you, no matter whatever's happened, you are free to be loved as a child of God and to take that body, the hope of transformation that God is healing you and renewing you and the church is here to walk with you in that journey. Don't be alone. Jesus loves you. He is with you. You are his beloved child. Let's bow and pray. Father, thank you for the gift of sexuality, the gift of the way you created us, Father. And many of us have desires and urges that we're struggling with, God, and we don't know where to take them. And many of us, Lord, have struggles in our marriages and we don't know where to take them. And many of us have children that we are burdened for. And how do we teach them and love them? Oh, God, would you heal us today at this table? Help us to remember that we're forgiven and free. We're not slaves to fear or slaves to our past or our biology, but we are children of God. And Lord, through your spirit, would you allow us to be whole and holy in this area and teach others and model what it's like. Heal our marriages. Help our singles that are wrestling through these issues, Lord. Be with them and watch over us all that we might be a community of healing love. We thank you for your body and blood. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name.
We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.